We are, as a church this fall, focusing on trying to find our place in the world. And principally, our place in this world is to be different, what the Bible calls being holy or being separate. As Jesus would say, we are not of this world. As the Apostle Paul, Peter would put it, we are to be holy in all our conduct, to be holy just as He is holy. As James would say, we are not to love this world, nor the things in this world. For the person who loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so clearly our place is to be different from this world in the way that we think and in the way that we behave. But why? Why are we to be different from this world? It's because we are to shine as lights in this world. Because Jesus said that we are not only called out of this world, but we have also been sent to this world to make a difference in this world. If we are going to make an impact on this world, we have got to be different from the world in which we live. The only hope of a sinful and dying world is God's holy church. For us to have a different attitude and a different behavior from most of the people in this world. We cannot reach the world unless we are different from the world. That's our place in the world. And in no, in no area are we to be more different from this world than when it comes to the issue of our possessions. We as God's people have a very different attitude and behavior towards our possessions. And today it is time for us to shine the light of God's truth on possessions. And the first message that comes to light in Scripture is that the possessions of this world, material possessions, God has created them good. That's the first thing we learn about material possessions. In the creation story, God created this and said it is good. And He created that and He said it is good. And seven times He created all things and said it is good. God created all things good. Material possessions are good. But not only did He create them good, but He created them for our good. He created humanity and He put them in the Garden of Eden. And the text says this, The Lord God made to spring out of the ground every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. God created things that our senses enjoyed. He created things that were beautiful. He created things that tasted good. God created material possessions good. And He created them for our good. And then He put humanity in the garden, not just to indulge themselves in their possessions, but they were then given the responsibility of expanding God's good work in the world. God gave humanity this primary goal. He said in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. God gave humanity a good creation. They were then to take that good creation and they were to work with it in such a way that they expanded God's good works in this world and protected those works from all moral and physical decay. And so the biblical story begins with this idea that material possessions are good. 
God made all things good. He made them for our good, and He wants us to take them, and He wants us to use them in this world for His good and to protect them from all moral and spiritual decay. Well, how do you do that? Well, the biblical story then teaches us how we are to use God good, God's good possessions in a good way. He does it in the story of Abraham. God chooses to work in this world through the faith of a man named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, through you, I am going to bless all the nations of the world. Where's our place in the world? There it is. And part of the way that Abraham was going to do this is through a land that God gave to Abraham and his descendants. They were to use this possession that God had given them for the good of their world. And here we get to a central principle with regard to the use of God's good possessions. That we are to use them for the good of others. That's when God's possessions are good. And so God gave Abraham and his descendants this material possession of the land, and they were to use that land in such a way that it was to bring blessing to all of the nations of the world. But when Israel began to use those possessions selfishly and sinfully, God took the land away from them so that they might learn that God had given them the possession so that it might be used for the good of others. In the New Testament, of course, God's people are not defined by having a land, and yet they still lived by this principle that possessions are good when they are used in service to others. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4, and verse 8, 28. Do honest work with your hands, so that you might have something to share with anyone in need. That's why God's given us possessions, is to use them for the good of others. And this principle was clearly seen in the life of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, when they learned about the gospel of Jesus Christ, they then used their possessions to help any believer who was in need. In Acts chapter 6, they made sure that all of the widows in the church were taken care of financially and with food so that they would have what they need. In Acts chapter 11, when they learned that there was going to be a famine that was going to hit the region, they took up a collection to help those believers who were in need. They were a group of people <coughs> excuse me, who used their homes as a place for the church to worship. They used their homes as a place to help traveling evangelists so that the gospel could be spread. They were a people characterized by using the possessions God had given them to serve the good of others. In fact, their attitude towards possessions was described this way in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. This characterized the early church's attitude towards possessions. All of the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. The saving gospel spread across the world because God's people had a different perspective on possessions 
Possessions are good when they are used for the good of others. But our possessions are not just intended to help meet human needs. Our possessions are intended to give us a reason to see the worthiness of God. Our possessions are intended to help ignite our worship to the Lord. In fact, that's the first way we see possessions used in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel used their possessions to do what? To come and bring them before God. It, was, it drove them to worship. Every possession in our life has the ability to point us towards God in worship. Famously, David does this in Psalm chapter 8, Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8, what he does is he thinks about the stars and the moon. He thinks about humans and animals and the fish and the birds of the sky. And he thinks about all of God's creation and it causes him, it moves him to say twice, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Do you see it? Possessions are good when they drive us to see the worthiness of God. That's what they are intended to do. Paul beautifully expresses this principle. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, the church was wrestling with the right understanding of marriage and food, what you should eat and not eat. And Paul gave them this principle. Everything created by God is good. Do you see it? Material possessions are good. Why? Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy. Our view of possessions is made holy. It is made different by the Word of God and prayer. The Word of God teaches us that everything that is created came from God. And therefore, as we see it as the creation of God and we look at it, it gives us reason to be thankful to Him and to offer prayers of praise. Material possessions, God created them good. And they are good when they are used in service to others and when they drive us to worship our Lord. You know, any old blockhead in this world can gobble up their goodies and they can pile up their possessions and lean back and say, it is good. My friends, we have a different reason to call material possessions good. They are good because they are God's tools to us to propagate His goodness in this world, to help people, to serve others, and to help us grow in our estimation of God's worthiness. And so if that's what material possessions are supposed to do, let me ask you, are they doing that in your life? Are you actually setting aside possessions and money so that you could have it available to help people who are in need? Are we actually on a daily basis receiving God's good gifts to us and using them as opportunities to praise God for them? Is God's estimation elevated because of our possessions? If not, 
If we are not worshiping regularly because of those possessions, if we are not helping with those possessions, those possessions which God intended for our good will actually become our greatest harm. And that leads us to the second principle we find in Scripture, and that is that while God created material possessions for our good, material possessions are dangerous. Material possessions are dangerous. Craig Blomberg wrote a 300-page book on what the Bible teaches about material possessions. It's delightful. And at the end of it, he brings this to a summary, and he says this. Material possessions are the primary means of turning human hearts away from God. That's the biblical testimony. Material possessions are the primary means of turning human hearts away from God. After all, it was a material possession that first incited the human sin. The law of Moses limited the amount of money and possessions a person could accumulate. The predominant message of the prophets was that the people's attitude towards possessions and their use of possessions was going to bring them under the judgment of God. That was their primary message. The gospel account, Jesus is constantly warning his disciples about the damaging effects of possessions. He told a story about a rich man who had accumulated a lot of possessions in his barns and in the middle of the night he died And Jesus said, you know what the story is about? The story is about this is what happens to people who are rich towards themselves but are not rich towards God. And then he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we possess. He warns his disciples of the damaging effects of material possessions. Jesus told a story about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus to tell us that riches can lead us to eternal torment. Jesus was grief-stricken on one occasion about one of his disciples who was particularly wealthy and he left not deciding to follow Jesus or deciding not to follow Jesus anymore. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said this, It is hard for a rich man to be saved. He didn't say it's hard for somebody who trusts in riches to be saved. They won't. He just said, when we have more than we need, it's just hard to be saved. He warned his disciples that material possessions can be dangerous. He, in fact, warned about it so often that the Pharisees, who were called, quote, lovers of money, the religious people were the lovers of money, it says that they thought that he was saying all of this about them and they hated him for it. No doubt. That's why they killed the prophets. It's because for centuries they hated anybody who came along and challenged their attitude towards possessions. As long as you talk about possessions being good, everyone loves to listen and there are smiles on their faces. As once as you warn 
that material possessions can be dangerous. People clam up and they get angry. That's what happened with the Pharisees. In fact, Jesus believed that material possessions were a chief rival to God. He said, you will either be passionate about possessions or you will be passionate about God, but you cannot be passionate about both. Paul said in one of his letters that when our desire is for money, it is the root of all kinds of evil in our lives. I remember learning this as a young man. A man and his wife, Mr. Lack, moved down to Las Cruces from Ohio to buy a car business, and I worked for him. When they moved there, they didn't have much. The park car business took off, and all of a sudden, Mr. Lack started dressing differently. Mr. Lack was a little short man, and all of a sudden, he started walking in. Big strides. He was dressing nice. He got him a gym membership down. And he started working out and he started looking nice. And then all of a sudden, he left his wife and his kids for a woman who's about 20 years younger. Love of money is the roots of all kind of evil. The, war, the scriptures are full of warnings about it. In fact, I think there's enough there to say that we need to be very careful about how we feel about money and about how we use possessions because our soul, our soul is at stake with regard to how we think about them and use them. I wrote this in an article a few years ago. It was after careful, prayerful consideration. In my experience, I do not believe that any one sin has hurt the church more in my generation than materialism. Our love for things has drained our passion and energy for things eternal. We spend so much of our time feeding our pleasures that the kingdom of God looks like an amusement park in the dead of winter. The irony is that this has not filled us with more joy, but rather left us more frustratingly unsatisfied and anxious. God's gracious salvation and His glorious kingdom deserves more than a mere tip after I have feasted at the table of greed. Well, we know the dangers of material possessions, don't we? So why do we love them so much? The reason we love them so much is because we get them tied up in our sense of self-worth, our sense of security. We get them tied up in our sense of pleasure. And so some of us struggle with our self-image. I get it. We would like to be taller or shorter than we are. We'd like to be thinner or bigger than we are. We'd like to have more hair or less glasses. We want more of this. We want less that. And most of it we can't do anything about anyway. And we sit here and struggle with our sense of self-image. But if I got money, I'll dress a certain way. I'll feel better about myself. I'll fit in or I'll fit above. And I'll get the deferential treatment that I deserve. Some of us 
struggle with fear. And we think that if we just have enough possessions, then we can be more certain about our future. Others of us just like having fun. <laughs> and we know that possessions send our pleasures on a zing. But can I ask you, dear believer, where is our self-worth? Is it not that we are children of God? Where is our sense of security? Is it not that we've been forgiven and that heaven is our home? Where is our sense of pleasure? Is it not that God's people are walking in truth and that God's name is being glorified in the earth? Do you see how possessions can rob us of our most prized possessions in Christ and we find it in lesser things? We need to find our sense of security and significance and our place of pleasure in a place this world can't touch, and that is in our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has provided. A recent study showed that how half a million people, 500,000 people, are injured every year. And 3,000 people die every year as the result of distracted drivers. It's dangerous, we know, to be distracted when you're doing something significant like driving a car. And we know that it is more important for us to get home safely than it is for us to send that text or to post that picture. And yet, what do we think? We think, it's just a momentary distraction. It's not going to be that bad. I can get away with it. And the problem is, is that we don't realize the distraction is deadly until it's too late. And I want to suggest to us that that is what happens with our possessions. Possessions can distract us to death. Jesus told a parable about how the gospel came into a person's life. And the gospel began to have fruit. I mean, this was a person who grew up in the church. This is the person that went to Bible classes, knew their Bible. They, they led some Bible classes and prayers, and they led some songs. I mean, things were starting to be productive because of their faith. And then Jesus said this, listen closely. As they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. Possessions can be dangerous. They can distract us to death. Servicing our possessions is a form of idolatry. Think about our possessions. Every possession we have requires thought. It requires maintenance and preparation to the point at which we end up serving our possessions rather than our ser possessions serving our work in the kingdom for the good of others and the glory of God. Another problem with possessions is that they tend to make us proud. This was one of the major issues in both Old and New Testaments. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, tell those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant. There's just, isn't it funny? 
The possessions we have belong to somebody else before us. They're going to belong to somebody else after us. And yet while, we think we've, while we've got them, we think they somehow make us better than everybody else. They create arrogance. When a person has possessions, they expect a, a certain deferential treatment on others. And so what we end up doing is we compare what car we're driving and you're driving and what house I'm living in and your house you're living in and the job I got and the job you got and we assign importance as the result. God forgive us for that foolishness. Every one of us is a sinner undone before God desperately in need of Him. That's who we really are. Psalm 22 and verse 2 says, The rich and the poor have this in common. The poor, the Lord is the maker of them all. <laughs> That's what makes us significant. I love how C.S. Lewis put it. C.S. Lewis said, The man who has God and everything has no more than the man who has God and nothing else. That's true. What do you think about that? That's true. But... Possessions can make us proud. Well, I could go on with the list of warnings, but has there been enough for us to say maybe it's time for us to think about our view of possessions, our use of possessions, and maybe begin to see them as God wants us to see them and shine God's light in the world by the way that we use them and think about them? Well, if we do, here's some ways we can shine our light in the world with regard to our possessions. The first one is this. We need to sound the warning. It needs to come from our lips regularly. Let it be heard in your home, the things we've been talking about. Put them on your refrigerator. Sound forth the warning that possessions can be damaging to my soul. There's this great story about this man who stood at the gates of Sodom and every day for years he spoke against the sins of Sodom and finally one visitor came by and he said, why do you do this? Can't you see that it's not making any change in them? To which the man replied, yes, but it's changing me. And we live in a world that is dominated by possessions. There's, you, you get on YouTube, what is it about? You can make a billion dollars. Just film yourself being silly. And in, in various other businesses, I mean, that's what it's all about. That's the constant theme of our culture is to be, to have more is to make you better. In fact, everybody knows the names of the first five people on the Forbes list of the richest people in the world, right? They're significant, right? That's what our world is saying. Sound the warning regularly. So that whenever you buy that new thing or you get that new raise at work, that you sit down and you say to yourself and your family, listen, life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we possess. Our goal is to be rich towards God. Look at it. We got it over there on the wall. That's what we're about. Sound forth the warning. Secondly, when you buy something, see the decay in your stuff. When we are tempted to find our joy in things, it's never in things. 
God gives us good things so that we can use them in others. That's joyful. And God gives us good things so that we can see His glory in them. That's what makes them joyful. But whenever we begin to see things and get our joy just from things in and of themselves, stop. See what they look like in five years in your mind. In 20 years. In 100 years. See them sitting under the pile of garbage with the banana peel sticking on the top of it. See the decay in your stuff. That's what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, the treasures on earth, the moth and the rust, they destroy them. Thieves break in and steal. I love this picture. Somebody one day bought that car. And they were excited, weren't they? They came driving it home. They said, look at my new car. Neighbor was over there. He said, come over and look at my new car. And their pride. Think about what it looks like then. Would you trust that? Would you trust that to take you where you needed to go? Then you shouldn't trust in material possessions. You should trust in the Lord your God. The best way to silence, though, the old miser that lives within each of us is to give away those things which we idolize. Paul's advice, command. Command, 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Giving is the anecdote to greed in Scripture. In fact, Jill Briscoe in her book, The Money Trap, suggests that we regularly give away things so that we will not idolize them. She writes, Ask yourself if you have developed a real attachment to some possession or another. Look around and see if someone needs that thing more than you do. Pray about it. And if you're honest, you may realize that the thing has its power over you. Give it away speedily. I had a trainee on one occasion. For the first time in his life, came to understand what Jesus had to say about possessions. And he realized that he had an obsession with shoes. He had hundreds of shoes. And he didn't think about using them for anybody else but himself. And he had thousands and thousands of dollars in shoes. You know what he did? Monday morning, after being convicted by God's word, he prayed about it. And he went and he gave them to somebody else. The people who needed them. And he rid his heart of an idol. He still struggled to raise it up again. But he was going to ruthlessly get it, ruthlessly get it out. I have a dear friend by the name, uh, well, I won't tell you his name because he does, it's really a good idea. I don't want to make him embarrassed. I have a friend who for years has created a bank account at the bank called the God Fund. It's different from his regular bank account, it's just called the God Fund. And in the God Fund, every month on top of his regular giving, he puts a little bit of money in that God Fund. 
And you know what that's allowed him to do? He, his eyes are open all the time to good works he can do. And when he sees them, he can do something about it because he's prepared to do it. I got to thinking about the Lord Jesus around the cross as you were describing, Lord. And God gave him a body, a material possession. And what did he use it for? He did it, used it for the good of others and the glory of God. That's what made his body holy. <laughs> Jesus had this different view of possessions, that they are to be used for God's purposes, and that's what makes them good. And to do that, some of us are going to have to develop a different habit in life. We're going to have to learn to live with simplicity. This is what Paul's advice was in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. That's a verse to hang in your house. That's a verse to point to every, every week. You know, in the Old Testament, this was called the manna principle. That God wanted his people to learn to trust in him and not in stuff. So he took them out there in the wilderness and he gave them all the manna they could eat every day. And if they'd hoarded it up, it just went bad and they were back to being as needy as everybody else the next day. What was God trying to tell them? God's trying to tell them, you just live on what you need today and you don't hoard up and pile up and live in greed. In fact, this principle of moderation is found everywhere in the Bible. The laws with regard to the Sabbath day and the year of Jubilee were intended to keep people from accumulating possessions beyond their ability to use it. We call that the American way. But in Scripture, that was a dangerous thing to pile up more, more possessions than you needed. In fact, hoarding and accumulation is presented as sin in both Old and New Testaments. Instead of giving, instead the Bible encourages us to give in proportion to the way God has prospered us, and in fact beyond the way that God has prospered us. God's people were known for their generosity, not for their penny-pitching. In fact, if we have this view towards possessions, we're going to be different than this world. In 2021, the average American family gave 3% of their income to charitable organizations. Only 25% of that 3% went to any faith-based organization. Now, I don't know the definition of generosity. But I know that by definition, generosity is more than 3%. And in some form of proportionate giving, there ought to be a generosity in the way that we use our possessions, in the way that we give our money to help people in need and to promote the kingdom, the way we use our homes and our cars and our very lives is to be seen as something that is generous. In the Bible, generosity, open-handed giving, the Old Testament calls it, guarded God's people against the sin of hoarding. It enabled them to live in moderation. But in the parable of the rich fool, 
we are asked to consider one other tool to help us shine as lights in this world, and that is to consider our mortality. In the parable of the rich fool, here was a man who had achieved the, the American dream. He had a bumper crop. He got that raise at work. And it just piled up in his barns. And he says, now I can retire. <laughs> Soul, take your ease. Eat and drink and be merry. And at night, his life came from him. And God asked him this question. Now, whose will these things be? Great question. God is asking us to consider possessions in light of our mortality. Solomon does this in the book of Ecclesiastes several times. He says, for example, in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 11, As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes upon them? They have no use other than the eyes. He says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. And so his, his advice is this. Naked, we came from our mother's womb. And as he comes, so shall he depart. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Remember, your mortality, judgment, in the way that we use our possessions. I have a dear friend named Craig Scott. Craig Scott was a Christian, got cancer, and it ravaged his body, and it drained his pocketbook. And when he died, he was having to live with his brother. He was in a, a bed that they placed in his den. And I went to him, and he was in his bed, and he looked over at me, and he said, you know, that table right there, it had like a ring and a watch and a, one or two other things on it. He said, that's all that I own to my name. And he smiled and he said, I have never longed more for heaven. Do you see it? When we think about where we're going to spend eternity, doesn't it give us a different view of our possessions? But one last thing that I think would make us shine like lights in this world is that this world needs to see, this world needs to see that God's people love the giver more than they love the gifts. They need to see that from us. The things we really enjoy are the things that have to do with God, about His use of our possessions. That's what gives us joy. Uh, there is, we know when it comes to children, when children give, get gifts, their birthday or Christmas or whatever, what do they usually do? They just tear in it and they're looking for what the gift is, right? And what do we have to do to them? We have to come and say, now you, I want you to go tell Aunt Susan now. I want you to go tell her that you thank her for that, right? Because we understand it is a sign of immaturity to be caught up with the gifts more than the one who gave it to us. My friends, it is the same. We are spiritually immature, weak even unto death, if we love the gifts more than the one who has given them to us. The giver is eternal, personal, and perfect. The gift is temporary, lifeless, and destined to rot. And so the next time that you are tempted 
to trust too much in some possession, stop and give thanks to God for it, and say, now how do you want me to use it? John said, do not love the world or the things in the world. For he who loves the world, the love of the Father, is not in him. Jesus said, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. When it comes to our possessions, it comes down to what do we love? The way we use our possessions say who we love. When God used the greatest possession, or he used possessions, creation, who was he saying he loved? He loved us. When he sent Jesus, the greatest possession of heaven and earth, sent him into the earth, what was he saying? He was saying, I love you. And how can we turn our back on that kind of love and not respond and say, everything that you've given to us, we're going to use to serve you even our lives. And if you're here this morning need to respond to the gospel, this is a time to say, I want to live for something that is more significant than this death, dead and dying world. I want to be God's shining light in this world who saved me from my sins through Jesus' blood on the cross so that I can have an eternal relationship with him. If you need to do that, we'd love to invite you to come. Why don't you come almost persuaded? Why don't you be fully persuaded and come respond to the gospel? as we stand and sing.